Hello and welcome to Touchline. My name is Kasper Els. I'm here with Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Kas. Nice to be back. Hi to all our listeners. Looking forward to a, to a great rugby show today. Yes. Um, Mark, I want to I wanna chat tonight um, about a couple of subjects that we've discussed over the past weeks. Uh, looking for, for some material to talk about, I actually noticed that there's very little in the mainstream media about rugby at the moment. Now, looking at the Curry Cup that's supposed to start up now and trying to find fixtures, it seems that nothing has been been decided yet, that there's, there's no fixture, fixture list or fixtures set yet. I think they have discussed it and that there has been dotted down, but I don't think it's been made public as to when we, we're good to go. But as far as I am aware, the Curry Cup will start in September. Um, obviously, I think we'll play without any spectators, but it will start in September. Um, I'm not too sure about the format, but as I understand it, it would be a, a one-round. Obviously, it's okay. going to be condensed. So it will be a one-round fixture, and then with the two, two, two-fold, yeah, and the, yeah, I speak under correction, um, it would be either be the top four or five playing against each other then. Yes. Bearing in mind, I think we only seven provinces going to play against each other in the Curry Cup. And then that's how that's going to plan out this year for the simple reason that it's a shortened Curry Cup season because yes. in November, the Northern Hemisphere's our traditional tour with the Springboks take place, so yes. definitely shortened. Then something else that, um, that was quite interesting is we spoke about the New Zealand and, and Australian conferences that wants to basically kick us out of the Super Rugby. And one of the main reasons was that um, they're not playing our strengths. Now, looking at, at the number of players and the number of Springboks that we have playing in the Northern Hemisphere and then in Japan and all over the world, it kind of makes sense that they're not really playing our strength. Look, there's, there's lots of debate around that. Part of it is, but I think it's changed over the last few years, and the, and, and the World Cup is a prime example, yes. where we selected players that were playing abroad. Um, in the past, if you leave South Africa to play abroad, you're not in contention to play for the Springboks. Then they brought in a criteria, and I speak under correction, I think it was 30 tests. You had to have played 30 tests to be able to or be eligible to play for South Africa again if you go abroad. But I think that has changed. That um, has changed, yes. So I don't think that's an that's a issue anymore, something that they can fight. In the past, I, I would say yes, I agree with that, because that was what part of the problem was. But now I think it's open to everyone. Um, I think Rossi is very open-minded to what's happening. Um, obviously, there's a financial effect in the, in the players' salaries. South Africa also wants to broaden the, the skills and the development of the players. So many of our players leave uh, to go overseas even after school, as early as that. Yes. So um, with their development taking place overseas, and obviously there's technology that you can see how it goes. Rossi flies all over the world to speak to these players and, you know, to... to let them know that they are part of the setup and we are looking at them. So I think it's changed. I don't think that's uh, founded anymore in the, in the sense of using that as an example. 
Having said that, though, there are many quality South Africans playing overseas, and we could easily put together two proper Springbok sides that yes. would compete. But I think our best players will play going forward. Yeah, I see that Kwaka Smith this week has announced that he's going to stay in Japan. He's been made an offer by the Lions and the Sharks, and he declined both of those, um, staying in, in Japan. And he actually mentioned that um, he's staying there because of the Japanese uh, season starting in December, going through to January, as well as that he is still eligible for selection for the Springboks, and he would like to play in the Lions Tour. I think it's, you know, it, in, in South Africa, or we'll put it this way, the rugby for players, professional players, is like a business. You know, they're playing the sport that they love, but they get an income from that. So when they play abroad, obviously there's there's more money overseas. Um, but I think part of many of our players that left, like normally happens after a World Cup, and South Africa is no different to New Zealand and Australia, where after a World Cup they either get a sabbatical or they go and play for another in another country. But if you look at if you look at our players specifically, there's there's obviously the remuneration part of it. Yes. But it's open now where they are eligible to play for South Africa. So yes, if you look at a lot of the players that have gone over now and part of the reason they know that more so the fringe players and Kwaha, although he was part of the World Cup, he was a fringe player. He knows that if he wants to be part of Chark Ninaba's Springbok side, he has to produce the goods. And he also knows that he has the inside lane if he plays in Japan now because Northern Hemisphere rugby is on the go, New Zealand, Australia are on the go, South Africa haven't started yet. We yes. don't really know when we're going to start. The rumors are, yes, we're talking Karika probably in September. In Japan, they've started training already and he knows he's got the front position there to, to try and make an impact before South Africa yes. even get there. So Not long before the players, yeah. Whether whether he would be part of Jacques Ninoma's plans for the November tests um, in, the, in, in championships when we play in New Zealand, if that still goes ahead, is a different story. Um, but that's part of his thinking, and that was part of what he was saying, is that he's going there for the sole reason that he feels that Japan will start playing rugby before South Africa. Then another thing that I've that I just noticed is that we've got so many players and so does New Zealand and, and the Fijians or the Pacific Island players that plays in, in Europe. What do you feel, what's the impact that that has on the local players in, in the Northern Hemisphere? Because now you've got all these uh, South Africans and, and New Zealanders, Australians playing in, in England and in France and actually taking the positions of local players. Look, I think, you know, if you look at us as a coach from South Africa, um, if, if I was a national coach, it, it, I wouldn't mind our players leaving to go and play overseas because I think you get different coaches. South Africa traditionally play a specific style, whereas in the Northern Hemisphere they play a different style. And um, there are how many Springboks that were mediocre Springboks when they left to go and play overseas and when they came back they were so much better. Faf de Klerk is, is part of it. I mean he's always been a yes. good fly, a good scrum off but I mean he's a great scrum off at the moment. You know he's one of the best there is in the world at the moment and That's only true. because he yes. left to go overseas and when he left there was this uncertainty whether he will play for the Springboks again or not. If you look at 
clubs overseas, and you can name them because we basically got South Africans playing in all of them, but you go from England to France or to Italy or wherever, they're there. I think as an impact in that country, it's obviously a negative for them. But from a club perspective, and when we talk clubs overseas, it's like our provinces. Um, yes. If you look at those clubs, they have a cap on certain amount of players that from foreign countries that's allowed to play there. And I think that's part of their planning. But I think they also benefit, although although a player might now not make a side because one of the South African players are there, more often than not, players go there that are young, so they have to play there for three or four years before they are eligible to play for their adopted country. Yes. So it could be a benefit to wherever they might be going if they haven't played for South Africa yet. If they've played for South Africa and they go overseas, then obviously there's yeah. a problem yeah, because they, they can't, can't be selected. Yes. So I think I think it's a it's a it's a win-win situation depending on which side you're looking at it from. For South Africa to get our players to go and play there and come back and be, become better players, I think it's a bonus. I think for them, if a player is young enough and he comes through the ranks, um, there's how many of them that have played for Scotland and for Australia and so forth. Um, I think it's a benefit for them as well. But it doesn't sit well with the local players because obviously then they need to go somewhere else. I mean, and some of them are brilliant players, but they're sitting on the sideline. Yes. Well, I was looking at looking at it from a, a Mums and Toti rugby club perspective where our focus is on, on developing local. And if you look at what's happening there now, um, they can't really develop the local because they have all these international players playing for them and actually taking up the local guys' positions. There's there's a few ways to look at it. I look at, let's, let's talk Sharks. So the Sharks contract certain players that are outside of our province. Um, and they, for argument's sake, when we play a, a, a club game, certain players are released to come to the clubs. So it might be a once-off. It might be two or three times a, a season or whatever. It's not a continuous thing, which is slightly different. But, you know, you have a player playing week in and week out, so a contracted player gets released to come and play for us. That player that is there week in and week out needs to be either relegated to the second side or play off the bench or whatever. So it's a similar similar scenario, whereas having said that, the overseas-based ones is more of a permanent scenario because they contracted for the season and they need to play. I think it, it also depends on how you work around it and how your planning is around it to obviously make everyone feel comfortable to to allow, if you can call it that, allow that player to come in and produce but the good But don't you feel that it it actually hampers the, the Northern Hemisphere national coaches in a, in a way that they haven't got the opportunity to look at his own players and to, to feel his own players because there's so many international players in that size? I think you're right. Um, but if you, I look at myself, if, if, if I was there and I see Eddie Jones, I've been watching the start of the Premiership now, and I see J- Eddie Jones every Saturday or Friday, depending on when they're playing. And this week they'll be playing on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Yes. And Eddie Jones is at a game on a specific day, watching Sale Sharks play, whoever it is, or Saracen's playing. He's always there watching the players. So I look at myself, I, I like to plan ahead so he would know this player came from South Africa he's only 99 four years time he'd be eligible for to play for England for so it could become a scenario where he plans for that 
going forward. So well, he won't to play there, yes. I think from a national side of it, where, where the problem comes in is, like in South Africa, our national coach obviously speaks with our provincial coaches and that, assuming yes. the same thing happens in England. So that development will be there. If, if they deem good enough, they will fit in somewhere along the line if their contracts are obviously extended for that. So right. I don't think it's a real problem um, from a playing point of view, but you would love to, to play your own people. But, I mean, you can have a look at England, you can have a look at New Zealand, you can have a look at France, for argument's sake. They don't have only, like South Africa, We Beast was, was the, the other one, obviously, yes. the flip side of the coin now, but he was the one. Whereas many countries have four, five, or six, seven players that aren't from that country. So you don't feel that it, it will actually hamper the, the national side in a, in a big way in the Northern Hemisphere? No, I don't. I think they, they, they've been in that scenario for years now already. So surely, my take on it is that they have planned for that. So they have, okay. they know who their current 30 is that they yes. might be looking at with the odd extra one coming in. That specific player that's still maybe coming in and out, he will be invited to a training camp or whatever. So they keep them part of the setup. But they know the progression as they go ahead from year to year. The odd one might pop out of the woodwork and... and you know, they might say, well, there's another guy we need to look at. But I think in the beginning, it might yes. have been an issue. But because of the planning and whatever that goes ahead, I mean, these guys, we've just played the World Cup last year. Yes. For the next World Cup, most coaches would have started planning prior to that already. So they, and they, they have their numbers already. 100%. So I don't think it's a... I think the cons concern is that your nation might not be playing in that specific club game. Uh, but by the time by the time the the World Cup comes for argument's sake or the Test match rugby, whoever would have qualified, and is now part of that specific country. So, but it is it, it, the downfall is you take away from your own people if yes. if I can put it like that. Then coming back to the Lions tour, I see now that the Crusaders coach uh, Scott uh, Robertson has made himself available to assist. Uh, Warren Gatland in touring South Africa for the for the Lions. Your feel on that? Sure. I wasn't aware of that, but um, yeah, I think it, I don't know if it's allowed. Firstly, um, obviously, it's a British and Irish Lions we're referring to. Yes. So um, traditionally, they they pick from within their own. So. Having said that, Warren Gatland is now co the coach of the Chiefs in, in New Zealand. Yes. So it adds to that flavour. Um, for me, if, they, if they're going to stick with the players like they have in the past, and obviously their coaching structure in the past was only from those, those uh, countries, then um, it's one thing. If they're going to look at Robinson to bring him in, I think it's wonderful. He's a, he's a great coach. Um, he will definitely bring something different to the party. Um, and, I mean, he's, he's been successful with Crusaders. So it just comes as a surprise if they would do something like that because he's obviously not from, from the British and Irish lines. Well, so. reading the article, I got the feeling that they want to put a, a bit of a, a New Zealand flavour on the, on the coaching to, to come to South Africa to actually come and win these, the tests. Yeah, look, I think... Uh, there's always there's always a thing to say. Well, if you make a change now, things might be different because New Zealanders play a specific style, 
South Africa play a specific style, the Northern Hemisphere play a specific style. Um, having said that, players develop and, and trends change and so forth, so they don't have much time to change. Yes. Um, it's only a few months. So, I mean, they're still going to play in the Six Nations, um, and then only they're going to obviously select their side to come to South Africa, and then to make changes might be an issue. But the players are so skilled in today's rugby world that change might be good. Change will be easier maybe than normal. Having said that, the technical side of it might might be too much for them. I mean, if you look at the box, we won, and everyone wrote us off when we won the World Cup with Rassi in charge, I think, for a year and a half. Um, so it's possible, but they don't have a year and a half. They've only got six months or eight months or whatever, you know, and not even that because probably only looking from December, January. Yes. Um, although they would have a, would have an idea already as to what they're doing. But when, when Scott comes on, comes on board, then obviously there's different planning and he's going to come up with Definitely. his ideas yeah. or whatever. So change is good. It might be difficult and that might just be what it takes for us to beat them. Although I think we'll, we'll stand a very good chance of beating them in any case at home. And then from a, a mums and toti point of view, um, I'm very proud to say that we have secured our position for two teams in the Lions Sports Festival. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, I'm quite excited about that. Um, obviously, that puts quite a bit of pressure on us to, to produce the goods as well. What is more, well, I won't say more exciting, but part of the package, what is exciting about this whole thing is that we 75 next year, celebrating yes. our 75th anniversary. So, we want to do well. Um, the Lions, the Lions tour... In July next year is, is like cherry on the cake for us to go away and, and represent the Mamsam Toti in that specific tournament. But traditionally what we want to do is we want to do well in our tournament at home. We want the, yes. the crowds to be behind us like they, they were in the past. So there's a lot of planning going on ahead according to the, what we are trying to achieve. Um, we'll probably start, if, if the government give us a go-ahead, we'll probably start in October with our off-season and then start planning. Okay. Um, what we're also obviously doing now is recruiting and what's been what's been good is I haven't really needed to do much with regards to that yes. for the simple reason that, you know, the talk in the town is that we're going to tour and we're going to the British and Irish Lions Festival. So players out of their own accord are making contact, which is great. Which is great, yeah. Um, so... I'm 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 hoping that we would be very competitive. Look, it's a it's an unknown entity for us. It is. We don't know who we're going to play against, or how well they play, or what style they play, or whatever. But what I can only concentrate on is our conditioning and and knowing what we want to achieve and how we're going to go about it. So, but it's exciting. So we we're definitely looking forward to it. According to the letter that I that I saw, it's mentioned that. There's only two South African teams per age group allowed to enter. And from a Toti point of view, now we've got Kingsway, that's um, in the under-18s. They're playing under-19s. Under-19s. Yeah. Um, and now we've got a Mums and Toti rugby club playing in the, in the Open, um, first team, as well as a over-35 team. So there's three teams from a Mums and Toti going which makes up the two for each one of those age groups. Yeah, I think I think uh, 
I don't know this. I'm only speculating. I'll definitely find out. I think that would probably be the first as well. Um, I don't think you find so many teams participating in a tournament from one area, more so if there's only two South African teams allowed per yes, age group or definitely. per category, if one can put it that. So um, I think it's exciting. I think it's it's great for the community. I think it's great for Toti Rugby and what we stand for and where we want to go to. Um, and, yeah, it's exciting time. So hopefully we'll have lots of support prior and post the tournament while we're there. I, mean, I know it's still a while, while to go, but while we're there, we'll give feedback on social media. Um, yes. And we'd love all the support, but we obviously on the field, we need to do what we need to do and do as well as we could. Um, and we're hoping to achieve that, you know. So there's a lot of, lot of work that, that the public don't see off the field, you know, with regards yes. to recruiting and conditioning. And not only recruiting players, but getting the right coaching staff and the structures in place and so forth. Management so, and yeah, all the rest so, of them, yeah. And it's great. Oh, beautiful. All we can say at this point is go and do Toti Proud. Yeah, no, we will. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we say we will, but it's not us. It's, it's the players taking the field. Players on the and day. We can, we can only give them what we can, you know. And I, I can tell you now, um, the talk out there already is that there's excitement and people want to go and so forth. So Very um, nice I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll give their all. So. Oh. And then to touch on the 75th year uh, Mums and Toti Rugby Club 75th anniversary. This tour will make up part of that. And then we just want to ask the community and ex-players, ex-committee members and current and the community in the Mums and Toti to, to support us next year in our 75th anniversary. And then to also help us with some memorabilia, newspaper articles, whatever's out there, stories, Whatever's out there that you guys want to share with us, please let us have it. We will look after it and we will definitely return it back to you after the festivities. Any information can be sent to chairman at amamsintotirugbyclub.co.za. Just in ending, Cass, uh, if we can just remind our listeners, if you want to get into contact with us, maybe with regards to a topic or something specific that you want to chat about, please make contact with us on contact at chatsapphire.co.za. From my side, Mark Cameron, uh, to the listeners, enjoy the week. Looking forward to touch base with you in our next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Touchline. From me, Kasper Els, have a great rugby week.